0: This is Talking Asset Management with KPMG. In today's episode, we're sharing the top five challenges asset managers are experiencing implementing the new SEC Derivatives Rule.
1: Hello, and thank you for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. I'm Sean McKee, national leader for KPMG's public investment management practice. I'm joined today by Matt Giordano our deputy leader, and a former chief accountant with the SEC's Division of Investment Management. Hi, Matt. Hi,
0: Sean. Great to talk to you today.
1: Great. So we're less than a year out from the new SEC derivative rule, and there's a lot firms need to do between now and and that compliance date. What do you think the top five challenges that asset managers are facing
0: in implementing the rule? Thanks, Sean. Yeah, the, the data is certainly getting, getting closer and there are probably more than five challenges and there's certainly multiple derivations of each of these five challenges that I'm about to mention. But starting off, I would say the first challenge is determining the derivatives risk manager and whether that's a single person or whether it's a committee and do you have the requisite expertise in-house. The second is really around scoping, and what I mean by that is the determination of whether a fund falls into the limited derivative user exception or or whether it doesn't, and that's actually been a lot more difficult for many advisors than I initially thought it would. The third is around selecting the appropriate designated reference portfolio, and, and that includes the use of relative versus absolute VAR. The fourth is around the use of sub advisors and getting the appropriate information. And I I think sub advisors and getting the appropriate information can be difficult at times for a number of reasons. And it's not just about this rule, but that's that's an area where folks are struggling a little. And I would say last and, and potentially most importantly is the monitoring of the derivatives and the board reporting. Right. So you you
1: mentioned the derivatives risk manager, and I think that's pretty interesting because it could be an individual, it could be a a committee, but you talk about the requisite experience regards to where you go with an individual or or committee. What are you seeing as you talk to to clients and and other people in the industry? What are you, you seeing out there in terms of how people are tackling this?
0: Yeah, Sean, so that's a really good question. I think when it comes to the derivative risk manager, we'll see most advisors select a committee versus a single person. And I think that that's for a number of reasons. I would say first and foremost, most advisors or many advisors don't have one person that has the requisite knowledge to pull in all the skills that are defined in the rule. And a committee suits most advisors better. What we're seeing is that they'll pull a number of folks in from different lines of the business. So there may be somebody from risk, there may be somebody from operations, and there may be somebody that's connected to the trading side that's not the PM, but together they bring that right skill set. I think one of the challenges around the committee is who will chair the committee and who will be the one that will report to the board. And what we're hearing is that will likely be someone on the risk side of the house because they have a the deepest knowledge of the rule versus the derivatives themselves. So it's more about the rule when it comes to reporting up to the board. What I've also found interesting about the committee is that there are a number of 40-act advisors that also have an alternatives platform. So some of them are actually pulling folks from the alternatives platform to sit on the 40-act derivative risk manager committee, which which I think is, is brilliant. It's a neat way to supplement some of that expertise in-house.
1: Great. Well, that, that's helpful. You know, it's interesting. The committee stru- structure obviously looks like a good way to address this given the complexity of the rule and, and bringing uh, more bright minds to bear uh, to, to solve the issue. Are there things other than uh, portfolio management skill sets or risk management skill sets that you're seeing added to that committee or? Any other interesting constituents that you see as part of a, a typical committee structure?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's bringing in SMEs as well. So some advisors, especially the smaller advisors, may not have anybody else that will fit that role. So folks potentially from like pricing services or outside SMEs that are non-voting members are being pulled into the committee as well. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Well, you mentioned also this this limited driver derivative user exceptions, of limited derivative user exception. And uh, at first glance, it seemed like the scoping of whether you're in or out or how much in or out you are in the rule would be easy, but it sounds like we're seeing complexity. What are, what are the complexities we're seeing?
0: The biggest complexity is really around the, the hedging concept. So the rule permits funds to exclude certain currency and interest rate hedges from the 10% derivative exposure threshold, as long as they're directly matched to specific equity or fixed income instruments. So that poses a number of challenges. And some of the challenges is the ability for the compliance folks or the risk folks to be able to tag how those derivatives are being used. And what we have found is that any complexes, um, if they are close to that 10% threshold, that they're really not taking any chances. They're kind of pulling those funds into the full VAR analysis. So one of the questions that we get a lot is, well, what's so close, right? If a fund has 5% derivative use, are you pulling it in 3%, 7%? And what we're starting to see is that when you get closer to that kind of 7% threshold, that funds that have seven or more percent are really being pulled in, and they're running through the full VAR analysis.
1: Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Obviously, early detection signals are always helpful. Um, you mentioned the um, VAR test and also you know, benchmarks and reference portfolios and the interaction of the two uh, is one of the things where we're seeing um, – people work through Uh, can you talk a little bit more about that
0: yeah well what's interesting here is that the the rule changed a little bit from when it was initially proposed re-proposed and then uh, the final rule Um, what i found interesting is that in this rule the sec basically says that a fund generally must comply with the relative var test unless a derivatives manager reasonably determines that the designated reference portfolio wouldn't be appropriate for the fund. Um, And then you can use the absolute VAR. What I am guessing is that to get over that relative VAR hurdle and to get to the absolute VAR will really be tough. Most folks that we're talking to will stick to the relative VAR test. And then the second question is, okay, well, when you're there, you have to ensure sure that you're selecting the correct designated reference portfolio or reference index. And I think folks are really thinking through, well, do we have that correct portfolio or, or in, unlevered index? Um, so, th- so that's caused a, a lot of discussion. Is it too broad based? Um, is it based on the sector? So those are the type of questions that we're hearing around the, the indices. Ah, makes sense.
1: You know, we obviously know a number of fund shops that uh, use sub-advisors, and some to a significant extent. And obviously, the more uh, people you have involved with the rule, the the greater complexity in in operating your compliance with the rule. What are we seeing with respect to the shops that have sub-advisors, and how they conquer the challenge of, of dealing with multiple parties as they comply with the rule?
0: Yeah, well, sub-advised funds when it comes to some of these compliance rules are, are always tough as I mentioned earlier. I think what is really important is that if you're an advisor and you have sub-advised funds, whether they're wholly sub-advised or whether you have sleeves, it's really ensuring that the sub-advisor understands what you need and how quickly you can get that information. Right, A lot of times a three-, four-, five-day turnaround isn't quick enough. And one of the issues that we're seeing is that you may have a sub-advisor that does multiple sleeves and one sub-advisor doesn't know what the other sub-advisor is doing. So you start to push against some of those limits when you're combining the the derivatives usage. Um, The other thing that I would say when it comes to to sub-advisors is that getting the information and aggregating the information in different information and different systems can be tough. So that's another area that we've we've helped our clients navigate. Are we
1: seeing a one size fits all solutions there in terms of some people maybe just saying, look, this is what we want you to report and this is what we expect you to report in this format or people alternatively just dealing with each of the different formats they're getting. How are we seeing people kind of deal with that challenge?
0: I think at the end of the day, there will be some coalescence. I think we're we're still a year away from the final adoption, and I think a lot's going to change in the next three to six months, based on um, where everybody is now and where they want to be. I mean, a year comes, a year will go by quickly, and there's a lot to get through. But right now, there are a number of different technology solutions that, that folks are using and trying to work through, and, and it's hard to say that one's better than the other. It really depends on what, your, what derivatives you're investing in, who your service provider already is, and there's a lot to go into it.
1: Understood. So significant complexity uh, and something that actually takes quite a bit of time to kind of work through the details if you have multiple sub-advisors. So last but not least is always one of my favorite aspects to any of this, which is the board oversight and the monitoring and and reporting that they get so that they can perform that oversight. What are we seeing as the challenges there?
0: Yeah, well, I think some of this is just a board education thing as well. So, you know, when we talk to certain boards, the way that this SEC rule is set up is different than others, right? So the board is responsible is responsible for determining the derivatives risk manager. They're in charge of compliance with the rule under 38A1 or 38A, right? But they don't approved kind of the details uh, of the program. So sometimes it's just kind of talking through with the board what their responsibilities are and how that differs from some of the other rules like the valuation rule. Now, from a monitoring standpoint or, or a board reporting standpoint, what we're hearing is that Many of the advisors are really looking for some sort of a technology solution because this information, like we we talked about earlier, is kind of in different pieces, and some of it may be on a spreadsheet here, or some of it may be from another sub-advisor um, on the other side of the house. So the human capital piece of this is huge, and folks are looking for a technology solution. Um, that's kind of the monitoring aspect or the technology piece of it. The other piece is reporting up to the board. And what I find interesting is all boards want you know, concise information and information that helps with oversight, but all boards are, are very different and they, they want different levels of detail. So I think what's important is making sure that you're working with council with fund council with board council and really understanding what the board wants to see and how you can present that in a digestible manner and I again I think that that will change from now to when the rule goes in place and I think it'll continue to change as I think it should as I think reporting should and you're going to understand some of these things better and understand what you want as the rule goes along that's gotcha. it
1: you know, on the technology front, are we seeing any solutions out there? that are silver bullets. Or are you just seeing more of kind of a uh, compilation of different systems and, and reports being used to facilitate the reporting?
0: Yeah, so so we've helped a couple of our clients on technology solutions. There's a handful of them out there. I, I really think it depends on who your currently using, how you fit into their system, and and what they can provide. What I have found interesting is there are significant price differences for some of these technology solutions, and I think that that'll change. We saw that with Nport and some of the other rules that came out, so that'll be an interesting item to follow.
1: Uh, Absolutely. All right, well, this has been very interesting and and educational, I, I guess, as I think about kind of Things is there's still a lot of of planning. People should be making sure that they're having robust discussions between management, the board, the risk manager, the risk manager committee, and really kind of working through the operational pieces of of technical compliance and and board reporting. a lot for people to still get done. And, and quite frankly, we always know this. It's it's not done just because you've implemented the rule. There's always ways to make it better and to improve. So it, this will be a, a journey, and, and people will learn, and they will improve based upon those learnings. So very, very good information. Matt, any final points before we sign off?
0: Yeah, I guess my final point would be don't wait too long to do this. Um, It's a rule that there's a lot to understand and there's a lot to get through. So the sooner you get through it and the sooner you work with the board, the better off you'll be in the long run. Great. And as always,
1: if KPMG can be of any help or assistance as you go through this journey, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks and have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Talking Asset Management with KPMG. And please subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. For more information, go to read.kpmg.us forward slash talking-asset-management.